This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. I hope everybody's doing great, and I hope everybody's having a fabulous day, because you can, that's why. First, before we even jump to the today's episode, I want to apologize for being absent for a month. I just had a lot in my plate, and I'll be honest with you, with everything going on right now, uh, it is July 14th as of this moment, and in the last month, a lot has happened in the world, and sometimes we get overloaded. So I definitely wanted to take a moment and take a step back and just kind of reflect on everything before I just sit here and launch new episodes because I feel like as I do not want to be fake, if I'm going to preach something, I definitely want to follow it. So I just need to reflect on a lot of things on my own and that is perfectly fine to do you guys sometimes. That's what this podcast is about. It's about being 100% real. It's about being you and actually preaching what you say. Last thing I want to do is just sit here and tell you do so-and-so and I don't do it. And then I'm miserable inside and you guys are awesome. Or I'm miserable and then you guys become miserable, which I don't think that's fair. <laughs> so I took a month off, uh, definitely reflecting on a lot of things and absolutely very much needed. But here we are again. So without losing any time, let's dive into today's episode, you guys. So today we have actually Dr. Glab Sipersky. He is the CEO of the Disaster Avoided Experts. I'm very glad we're actually starting after a month break. We're starting with GLAB because we actually touch very important topics of how people make decisions, how people can self-manage their emotions, and how social media affects our emotions, how we can control it, and how we can avoid disasters, predictable or unpredictable. Unpredictable one, just like the COVID-19 situation that we're currently having, which is affecting our economy to a whole different level, or predictable ones, like would be a hurricane, or like would be, you know, a big seasonal thing that all big companies pretty much know that something big is going to happen and they need to prepare for it. So, without losing any time, I definitely want you guys to enjoy this episode. Glab has over 20 years of consulting, coaching, and speaking and training experience as the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Expert. It's hundreds of clients, mid-sized, large-sized companies, you guys, non-profit, all over North America, Europe, Australia. He is a best-selling author, you guys. He is very down-to-earth. I'm so, so glad I got to connect with Glab. I definitely want you guys to enjoy this episode. Look into the details so you'll be directed towards his website, disasteravoidantexperts.com. Get a hold of Glab. Go ahead and subscribe to his blog, you guys, and enjoy. So thank you so much, guys, for investing your time and tuning in to RM Podcast FL. Just like I mentioned on the bio, today's guest speaker, it's a fellow European, as a matter of fact. We have Gleb Zyprisky in the show. Hi, Gleb. How are you today? I'm glad to be on, Ramna. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, um, I definitely want to thank Brian for introducing us together. Brian Ahern, you guys, he's been on the podcast as well. And I love it when you start connecting with more people and you just get to know more professionals. It's a, it's a great way to connect with others as well, just podcasting or LinkedIn itself. I very much agree. I think it's very important to have a positive, collaborative, connected network. And uh, I'm grateful to Brian 
for connecting us. I mean, he wrote a book about influencing people, so he, he better be a good connector, right? <laughs> oh, yes. I actually read his book. It's a really phenomenal book. And yes, he practiced what he preaches, so it works out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gleb, I want to pass on the mic to you. Uh, if you want to tell us about Young Yuta today, tell us a little bit. Uh, what do you do and how did you go about being at the path that you're currently at? Well, I'm known as the disaster avoidance expert, and I run a company called Disaster Avoidance Experts. It's a consulting, coaching, and training company where what we do is we help folks avoid disasters, as you can guess, through providing them with risk management, decision-making, and strategic planning services. So that's what we are focusing on. And as you can imagine, in this time of COVID-19, our work has been uh, pretty busy. I was talking about before the show, I'm getting a little bit bombarded with emails from uh, everyone ranging from clients to some podcast hosts who want to interview me about my new book, which we can talk obviously we're talking about here. So it, it's been a crazy time. But how I got here from today is that when I was a kid, I really was interested in the question of how we make our decisions because that I got fascinated with it because you know what? I saw everybody saying, go with your gut, follow your heart, trust your intuitions. And my parents were saying that because, you know, everyone was saying that and they believed it and their hearts and guts and whatever you call it, unfortunately, <laughs> often disagreed with each other's. So, for example, my mom liked to buy nice clothing, so she'd go out and she'd buy a $100 sweater. My dad was kind of a cheapskate, so when she'd come home, he'd yell at her, say, no sweater should be worth over $20. And then they'd go at it, bringing up past hurts, past pains, past stresses. And I, as a little kid, you know, watching that, I saw that, I mean, that wasn't great for me to see my parents fighting over things I already saw as a kid were kind of dumb. But even worse was the fact that they had the same fight over and over again every few weeks. <laughs> and, and, and I saw that they weren't changing each other's behaviors. They were making the same decisions that were leading to the same bad consequences, disastrous consequences for their relationship. And that wasn't great. But the worst time was my dad. So I talked about my mom. My dad also made some whoppers. His worst financial decision was that he was a real estate agent. So he worked based on commissions. And there was a period of time when he made quite a lot of money because, you know, his salary is variable based on commissions. But he actually hid it from my mom. He told her he made very little money because he probably didn't want her to buy more sweaters. <laughs> so uh, he actually bought an apartment, small apartment elsewhere, leased it out to some folks. Well, in a couple of years, my mom found out about it and she was very mad. She was very pissed. There had a big, huge blowout fight. There were dishes breaking and she eventually kicked him out of the house. So he had to go to live in that apartment where he bought for, you know, that money that he uh, earned on this, you know, secretly. So uh, I didn't see him for quite a while. I saw him pretty rarely and that was just not a great situation for him. Me as a little kid out to see that. And uh, yeah, then that made me really realize, crystallized my mind that my parents made some pretty bad decisions and their advice and decision making probably is not the right one. But you know what? No one sat me down when I went to school. I mean, my parents obviously didn't sit me down and said, hey, kiddo, here's how I make good decisions. But no, nobody taught me that in elementary school, middle school, high school. I hoped somebody would teach me that in high school. I mean, college, no, you know, that's not taught in college. And if you, you know, go to business school, that's not taught in business school either, how to make good decisions. So I decided I needed to study this topic myself because I saw it wasn't only my parents making bad decisions, but 
all sorts of folks. I mean, I grew, I was born in 81, so I came of age around the dot-com boom when pets like web, when companies like Webvan, Pets.com, Boo.com were booming. You know, party tech leaders were partying like it's 1999 in 1999. And then in just a couple of years later, when I was, that was 18, I was 18 then. And a couple of years later, I was 21, 2001, 2002. They all went bust. So all the people who were the heroes, supposedly the heroes of decision making and the heroes of industry in 1999 were now the zeros in 2002, made me realize that even the people who were praised as the most competent titans of industry decision makers really didn't know what they were doing when they you know, were praised for going with their gut, trusting their intuitions. And that made me realize that, hey, I need to study this topic because you know there's a huge problem here. So I started reading about it, learning about it, talking about it, and that's how I became, people started asking me about it. So I became a coach, consultant, and trainer on this topic. And I've been doing consulting, coaching, and training for about 20 years. But pretty quickly, I ran out of good quality materials and how to make good decisions and in the popular literature out there, because there's so much BS about going with your gut and following your heart and trusting your intuitions. So I had to go into academia and study what is, how do our brains make decisions? How do they lead to our financial decision-making and other decision-making? I became a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist. So cognitive neuroscience has to do with studying the structure of our brain and how it causes us to behave in certain ways. And behavioral economics has to do with how we behave as human beings in economic situations. So how we make our decisions. And I've been doing that for 15 years. So that's that's the combination of my work. I published a number of books about this topic. My best known one is Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. But my most recent book, it talks about how to make good decisions in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's called Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic. So that's my background and that's my passion. That's how I got to where I am today. I love it. And I think it's a little bit interesting because you're from Moldova originally, right? That's right. It's a small country. For those folks who don't know it, it's a small country in Eastern Europe, just southwest of Ukraine and east of Romania. Hasn't been conquered by Russia yet, but you know, (laughs) we'll see. Yeah, so I'm Albanian originally, and we're close in like the area in Europe, um, a little bit closer. But what I would say, like, it's very interesting, though, because in my culture, for example, it's a very common, like, this is how it's always is done. Don't question it. Just, you know, this is just how you do it. But you're actually questioning decisions that it's not a real, you know, common thing to do, especially coming from such a culture. So it, I, I love it, the fact that you start, you know, digging more into this because we are where we are today. And it just sometimes it's interesting whenever something sparks interest, you just do more research on that. I just love it, like seeing from that culture point of view, I don't know if your culture is, is the same, but that's at least how Albanian culture is. Like you just do it because that's how it's always done or don't question it. Don't di- dive in and digest everything and try to find out the why of why people communicate the way they do and things like that. That's definitely insightful. So it was part of my culture also to decide, make decisions the way that, you know, go with your heart, trust your intuitions. And I was called by my parents cold when I was choosing to try to make decisions in a different way and kind of evaluate the evidence and question some of their choices. So since I was a kid, that was a problem for me with my parents. And you, I think coming to the United States, that there was that natural break with your parents because you're coming into a different culture. And that helped me reevaluate a number of things in 
my background and my upbringing. I came here when I was 10. So I was born in 81. I came here when I was 10 in 1991. And then, as I mentioned, I was 18 in 1999. So around that time, that's kind of like freeing yourself from your parents. When I see my parents making bad decisions, that, that combined with them struggling somewhat to adapt to their new environment. And that, I think, helped me make that uh, break to evaluate decision-making more effectively. And I'm, I'm glad that everything worked out that way because as of right now, I mean, you are a well-known publisher. You have articles published in big networks such as Inc. for Incorporate, Business Insider, New York Daily, HuffPost, NPR, and more. I mean, those are big names, you guys. And um, also, we have the, the recent book, The Resilience, Adopt, and Plan for the New Abnormal of COVID-19 of Coronavirus Pandemic. And this book was launched just a couple of months ago. Why write it? Like what happened? Because I remember like when I read the book, I had the pleasure of reading the book. You wrote it in a really quick time span. Like what prompted you to even write the book and kind of give a big slap to everybody and be like, okay, guys, like we really need to prepare for this. Well, the initial point in prompting me to write the book was my publisher (laughs) approaching me and saying, hey, Gleb, you know, uh, how about we write a book on the coronavirus pandemic, partially because they saw my articles published on this. So I was one of the people who was talking about how this is going to be a much bigger deal than we anticipate that we're really going to have a lot of damage from this when a lot of people were saying, no, it's nothing. It's just a common flu. It'll blow over. You should don't pay too much attention to it. Uh, And my publisher saw that my perspective was actually aligning more with reality when in mid-March. So my publisher uh, approached me and published my other books previously. Some of my other books previously I have published with different venues, but this was published with Changemakers Books, which is an imprint in John Hunt Publishing. And they approached me and said, hey, Gleb, would you like to write a book about this super quickly? You know, we'll publish it as quickly as, you know, Hillary Clinton published her memoirs. <laughs> so that was the usual time spent for a book, you know, is something like two years from when you get the contract to uh, its publication because it takes a long time to write it it takes a long time to edit it to create the cover the art set it print it then getting into various book catalogs getting into bookstores and so on then have a big media drive around the process yeah so that's the process and they decided that they wanted something very quick because they recognize that this is going to be a big deal much bigger deal than people tend to think. So they approached me, they asked me, hey, um, and they approached a couple of other people. So it's actually part of a series on this topic to write about this. Specifically, my expertise is in how do you adapt, plan, make decisions, manage risks, strategically plan for our situation with COVID-19. How do you address the dangerous judgment errors that we all tend to make around COVID-19, which we can talk about later. And so I decided to, I was at that time, working on a book tour for my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions to Avoid Distance Disasters. Well, guess what? I mean, my one of my speeches for it for a group of HR experts in D.C. was canceled about two hours before I was set to get on a plane to go there. Oh, and wow. so, 
<laughs> yeah, that was not great. <laughs> and so were a lot of other speeches. So all of my book tours were canceled. So I just, you know, had some unexpected free time in my schedule, let's say that way. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, I was still, I was helping a bunch of clients who were emailing me to adapt to their existing business continuity disaster management plans to adapt to the new situation. But that still gave me quite a lot of time. So I decided that, hey, I really need to get this message out because I saw so many people screwing up, really making bad decisions and getting sick and dying. I mean, that was just terrible that people were dying unnecessarily in droves because they were making really bad decisions about how to proceed and just ignoring the reality of the situation. So I'm always I've always been driven in decision making to avoid suffering. That's been my passion always. So when I see my parents suffering, when I see so many other people suffering because of the dot-com boom and bust, that, that was really an underlying factor for me kind of about decision making that so many people suffer because they make bad decisions and I can do something about it. And I got into it because that was really important motivating factor for me to get into it. So I saw that my work, my expertise can help a lot of people avoid a great deal of suffering. And that's why I decided that, hey, this is something I need to take the time to do away from my other things. And so I hunkered down, wrote it very quickly, just a couple of months to write it, which is a crazy period of time, and then edited it very quickly. And the publishers, the publisher brought in editors to edit it very quickly, got it together and released it. I think on May 15th. Yes, it was May 15th. So it was, they booked it on around mid-March. So mm -hmm. essentially three months, which is just... That's time. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a very short time span. No, not three months. What am I talking? Two months. Two months. Yeah, two months. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's just... two months. The, two months. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I didn't quite realize. I thought it was three months. Two months. Yeah, so I wrote it. I Yeah, then I took... I probably took about a month to write it. And, and then because the whole post-production process took about a month. So yes, that, that was a timeline that was just <laughs> pretty, that's, pretty big. Yeah, that's a, that's a very short time frame. And what another question that I want to ask though, especially let's stick to the pandemic that, you know, that actually going on with a, a COVID-19. If you talk about the average Joe, you're getting the news from news channel like CNN, Fox, MSNBC, or you're logging into your social medias anywhere, but we're not fast uh, like a uh, fact checking this website and we're just causing panic like personally i mm -hmm. love facts and i love numbers and i love to actually get into the logic of it but i got overwhelmed when everything mm. broke because i'm on facebook and it just everywhere i'm on instagram yeah. and it just everywhere so i stopped using social media because mm. it really got to me and one day i broke down cry and then the next oh. day i was like you know what i'm just not even going to look on social media i'm just going to do my thing and mm -hmm. I would keep a check of it, you know, make sure what's going on around me, but not necessarily get bombarded. But where can the average Joe actually get the right information? Like, is there steps or is there places you'd recommend? So instead of preventing that disaster, emotional breakdown or disaster in our business, if we're getting, you know, false information and just getting mm -hmm. overwhelmed. Yeah, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with this stuff. The challenges for news information for what spreads on facebook on social media and on typical news sites is what arouses emotions so let's talk a little bit about decision making so we're on the same page about decision making our decision making processes what i've learned are overwhelmingly driven by emotions 80 to 90 percent of our decision making is comes from our emotions how we feel that's what drives us and we need to understand that and we 
we can't suppress our emotions and we shouldn't there's so many people who think that well i should be logical and rational you know just like spock no the, that's not the right approach to take to decision making because your emotions will drive your decisions without you realizing it if you're not in touch with your emotions if you're not aware of what's going of what's going on with you emotionally so the first step to really understanding and making good decisions is to surprisingly get in touch with your emotions, learn about yourself, develop that emotional awareness and emotional self-management, which are the tools of emotional intelligence. So that's what emotional intelligence is about, awareness and management. And as part of that, you need to understand that you can influence your emotions. That's the emotional management part. And there, that's where your logic and reason is wise. That, that's the place to use it, to influence and guide your emotions. And Part of being able to influence and guide your emotions is, as you pointed out, what you what kind of triggers you expose yourself to. So you can choose to expose yourself to social media, but the, here's where we get to the relevance of social media and news sites, but especially social media. If you look at the research on social media, what overwhelmingly gets spread on social media is what triggers the strongest emotions. When people are triggered, that's when they share. When they're triggered, especially by strong negative emotions, by anxiety, by worry, fear, disgust, panic, oh, anger, frustration, that's a lot of that triggers, is what triggers social media sharing, which is why you see a lot of these things that cause you to feel angry or upset or frustrated on social media. So not great. And we have to understand that's the kind of things that social media creates. So if you don't want to be exposed to that sort of stuff, you want to very much create a good filter for the kind of social media you use. And there are ways of doing that. But social media is not a good place to get article to get information on uh, COVID-19 because people spread a lot of misinformation, a great deal of misinformation. In fact, misinformation spreads as far as, according to research, ten as much as 10 times quicker and faster quicker and more widely than accurate information because you can spin misinformation to be as emotional as possible and as emotionally tugging at your heartstrings. You, you, when you go to facts, they're much more limited. So that's why misinformation spreads much quicker and faster. So social media is a bad place to get information about COVID-19. Well, you can get it from news sites, but unfortunately, news sites are also increasingly oriented toward having clickbaity headlines and get articles on their way yeah right and clickbait what does that mean it means that it emotionally triggers you to click on a link and then mm -hmm. the article the more emotionally triggering it is and the more you keep reading it and they want to keep you on the article site because that gets you to click on more ads and that gets more advertisement your way so that they want that so that is not necessarily a great place if you don't want to be so emotionally triggered a better place in this sense is to look at sites like the WHO or the CDC or the local equivalent for your state if you want to find out what's going on with and because that's created not for emotional triggering that's great for conveying facts and statistics so if you go to your the website for your state and you want to find or for your city but especially for your state because states centralize this so if you go to your state and you want to find out what's going on with the COVID-19 there, that there you go. If you want to look at CDC, what's going on across the US, WHO, what's going on across the world. So those are, those are the best sources to look for information that's not going to be overwhelming or emotionally triggering because that's 
created the who cdc your local state the state sites are created to provide information that's going to be more accurate and factual and you know they, they don't need to make money from anyone clicking on ads true very true and um, thank you for breaking it down like that i think it's very important to notice how of course you know social media they need traffic on their way they need the comments they need the clicks this way they can get the ads like it's a lot more marketing and it's a lot more that goes behind it but people and i felt for it especially when something is like so new like the first couple of days because i was one of the people that unfortunately lost their job too like as it broke down Mm. so it was all triggered for me but you, it, I think it's very important. And just like Lab said, you guys, if you follow those instructions, it is very important to kind of space yourself out and get the facts from the actual, you know, trusted sources. So this way we don't overwhelm ourselves. And uh, Gleb, I wanted to ask you this. Um, now we say don't make a, don't trust your gut, but also we talk about emotions. Let's talk about the exact like difference between your gut feeling and your emotions. Mm-hmm. Those aren't actually d- different. Your gut feeling, your intuitions, those people use the same terminology. People use these terms to mean the same thing. It's how you feel. Our gut reactions, our intuitions, they shouldn't be trusted as accurate representations of reality. They're real emotions that we feel. We can feel fear and anxiety, anger, frustration, you know, sadness, happiness, joy, whatever. That may have nothing to do with what's really out there. And that's the critical thing for us to understand. That our emotions are not necessarily at all indicative of the truth. One of the basic ways that we fail, the fundamental ways, the way my parents fail, the way, you know, people like Tony Robbins fail when they tell you to be primal, savage, and so on, is that they trust their heart, they trust their intuitions. And unfortunately, our intuitions, our emotions, our gut reactions, whatever you call it, they're not wired for the modern environment. That's what we have to understand. They are wired, that's that's part of the old part of our brain, the lizard part of our brain, if you've heard it termed that way, the autopilot system. They are wired for the savannah environment. When we lived as small tribes of 15 people to 150 people, that's what they're for. Our primary threat response, for example, is the fight or flight response. That was great for when we had to deal with saber-toothed tigers. You might have heard of it as the saber-toothed tiger response, when we had to jump at 100 shadows to get away from that one saber-toothed tiger. So that was great, or, you know, or fight an attacking tribal member. But in the modern day, we have many less saber-toothed tigers. The main threats that we have in the modern day are much more ambiguous, are much more uncertain. They come from notifications on our smartphones about an article somewhere deep in in some website that we read about a weird disease that popped up in the middle of nowhere China, right? So Wuhan, China, people who don't know about it see it as the middle of nowhere. In reality, it's a major metropolis has 11 million people and has something like 500 international flights a day. So on average carrying something like 10,000 people in and out. When I learned about Wuhan, China and the reality of the situation, that's when I started to become really scared about COVID-19 because I saw that there's no way to really contain its spread to Wuhan, that it's going to spread all over the world. But there were so many people who did not realize that fact that they just felt like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, Wuhan, China. And that is a pretty typical tribal response. So we have that tribal response where we don't perceive, if you don't perceive people in Wuhan, China as part of your tribe, 
it will not feel important what's going there. So we have, that's called the horns effect. So the horns effect, that's one of the cognitive biases from which we suffer, where if we don't care about one thing about someone, we don't, if it doesn't seem like they're part of our tribe, we don't care about them, we distrust them, we don't like them. That is something that happened a lot with Wuhan, China, and that people were having this really negative response uh, not even negative, ig ignorant response to what was happening in Wuhan, China, and that, of course, caused a lot of people to suffer. That's kind of one dynamic. Now, the other dynamic that goes on that's really problematic for COVID-19 is called the normalcy bias, where we tend to, in the Savannah environment, it was safe for us to assume that the future is going to be much like today, but in the modern environment, that's not the right assumption. So we fall for the assumption that the future is going to be much like today, and we ignore major threats, major risks. You know, a lot of people, when they responded to COVID-19, they responded either with a fight response or the flight response. The flight response was when they flew from the information. They ignored it. They said it's nothing worse than the common cold. It's just not, not a big deal. We should ignore it. That's one type of response, really problematic. And of course, the fight response was when people went to the went to the stores, emptied the shelves, bought up toilet paper and everything else. Not the right response either, and the equivalent in business settings. Not the right response either. Not good. And they underestimate the actual right response, which is to step back, evaluate the situation, understand that we are living in a major disruption and the future will never be the same again. But the normalcy bias inhibits us, prevents us from accepting that. We want to get back to normal. We want to open up our businesses. We want to go back to re restaurants and get our haircuts and think, every, hey, everything will be fine. Don't, don't worry about it. That's very tempting and very intuitive and very wrong. And people are dying because of this, They're dying increasingly large numbers. That's the big, big problem from which we suffer and which we need to address in order to make the right decisions. And we need to understand that our emotions, coming back to the original question, our emotions don't necessarily at all indicate what's the right thing to do. You might feel like it's the right thing to do to get back to normal, but that doesn't mean that that's the right thing for you to do. You might feel that the COVID-19 is nothing worse than the common flu, but that doesn't mean, you know, the reality is at odds with what you feel. You want to not trust your emotions and intuitions, and you want to question them, you want to evaluate them. Sometimes they'll be right, sometimes they'll be wrong, but you need to use your intentional system to steer you in the right direction. What did you think like, so when it comes to leaders, let's say either a leader of a country or a leader of a company, if you're if you're facing such a such a uh, crisis like the COVID nineteen situation, or even if you're facing like the like I'm in Florida, for example, we get hurricanes like crazy down here that it just turns businesses upside down for a hot minute. Um, if you were here last year, like in Naples, Florida, it just turned into a disaster. What do you think, not as individuals, but as leaders, what do you think would be the best way for the leaders to help on not spreading the, the panic to where people start freaking out and not putting logic, but just running like 100% on emotions? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think would be some, is there like a step-by-step -step process or is there a way we need to transmit the message to make sure that the message has gone through and the panic has not increased to its max? I describe a number of step-by-step -step processes in my books, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters for general decision-making, since you asked about that, and for COVID-19, Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic, what's the decision-making process that's relevant specifically for that? So we can talk about the 
step-by-step processes. But before we talk about that, I want to talk a little bit about general principles. Leaders need to fundamentally recognize that their emotions on main on managing crises will lead them in the wrong direction because of the fight or flight response and various other cognitive and various other tendencies which lead to cognitive biases. Cognitive biases are the specific dangerous judgment errors we tend to make. The fight or flight response is not a specific dangerous judgment error. It's what leads to dangerous judgment errors. So you need to understand that we'll fall into various dangerous judgment errors and we need to step back from our intuitive responses. That's the first and fundamental thing. There are unfortunately a number of leaders who don't realize that. They think and they're taught wrongly that what they feel is the right thing to do. So again, they perceive that what they feel is the right thing to do. That's often not the right thing to do, especially in situations with which they're unfamiliar. In situations with which you're familiar and which you did right many times, you develop what's called a mental habit. Now, mental habits are the kind of practices that we develop to live effectively in the modern environment, and physical habits as well. You probably already are aware of some mental habits that you've developed, so of some habits that you've developed to protect your physical health. For example, it's in the savanna environment, it was very important when we came across our source of sugar to eat as much of it as possible. Honey, bananas, apples, we're the descendants of those who ate as much as possible because the other ones didn't survive nearly as well, didn't reproduce, right? We're also the ones who had the very strong fight or flight response, we're the descendants of those folks. In the modern environment, when you come across a source of sugar, you know, when you come across a source of, you know, 12 donuts uh, in a mm-hmm. box, that they serve donuts in, two, in a box of 12 donuts, I did. And of course, it's profitable for donuts for donut companies to do that, but it's a very bad idea to eat all the donuts, even though it's tempting to do so. Once you're triggered, once you start eating a donut, it's pretty hard to stop. Just like when you have a gallon of ice cream, you know, supposedly the serving size for ice cream is like half a cup. I mean, who eats half a cup of ice cream? You point me to this person. <laughs> I haven't found <laughs> that person yet, and it's happy. Yes, that is that. Is- Exactly right, right? Or like eats 10 potato chips, right? So I don't know that that's not something that human beings really are wired for. So hope a lot of the listeners, I hope have managed their eating habits in such a way that they can keep their cell a healthy life. Instead of starting to eat donuts, you might you know, put away the donuts and eat some fresh fruit instead, you know, better dessert, better snack, right? So and, uh, when you eat ice cream that you have some way of, you know, maybe eat it with, you know, 10 of your favorite friends. <laughs> so that is a way of managing these various eating habits. So you've learned how to manage those eating habits because, you know, for your physical health, that's really important. But for your mental fitness for being able to make the right decisions people overwhelmingly don't take the time to take to process have the right process for making the right decisions for making the best decisions the first step is being aware that our intuitive tendencies just like our intuitive tendency is to eat as much sugar as possible our intuitive tendency on major decisions or even minor decisions are often going to be screwed up only in situations with which we're really familiar and we have a lot of experience are they will we tend to make the right decisions if we make them quickly without gathering too much data and that's because we developed effective mental habits so if you if you are a leader and you look at a profit and loss statement and you obviously if you deal with profit and loss you'll be able to quickly tell what's going on and that's fine and then you'll be able to make the right decision but if you 
are dealing with something like COVID-19, you don't have experience with it. You know, there's a reason that for major decisions, like let's say mergers and acquisitions, we have extensive research that about 70 to 90% of mergers and acquisitions fail. They fail to create value because leaders don't often do mergers and acquisitions. It's a very complex decision and they feel that they are, know what they're doing, but they actually very often don't. Same thing on COVID-19, people don't know what they're doing, but they feel that they do. So what you want to do as a leader, and before going to the step-by-step -step process is make sure to be humble, develop the quality of humility. Humility is greatly undervalued in our modern world. We tend to value confidence and you know, optimism, but humility is so important in making the right decisions. Be humble about your ability to make the right decisions. Then gather experts who have expertise on the topic at hand, whether epidemiologists on COVID-19 and so on, if you want to make health-related decisions, economists, if you want to make economy-related decisions, and of course, combine both to the extent that you need the different perspectives on economy and, and so on and uh, COVID-19. And get their expert advice. Really look at what the experts are saying. Be much more humble than you tend to than you feel and evaluate the situation based on the external perspectives of people who have information that is really valuable, useful, and that you are not tapping intuitively. So that's the, that is kind of the broader principle, the broader framework before going to step-by-step -step processes. Love it. You actually broke it down so good. You answered my next question too, because I was going to ask you even if, if it's something that you're not familiar with, but you already broke it down towards kind of seeing the economy and being in touch, you know, and being in, in contact with everything and knowing your situation at any time or contacting an expert to be able to help you through that. So thank you for that. That was a very detailed answer. And I think you guys should actually just go ahead and re-listen to that answer. Um, if Because I'm sure like every time you listen to it, you'll catch something new because Gleb was able to drop a lot of golden nuggets in there as well. Um, now, Gleb, I do want to ask you about The Blind Spot Between Us. It's another book mm -hmm. of yours. Uh, tell us a little bit about that book. Uh, what like How did that book idea came about? Sure. So The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships, really came about through, and of course, the book talks about relationships, personal, professional of all sorts. I've done a lot of consulting, coaching, and training in communication, relationship cultivation, how to make teams work effectively, how to address problems for leaders, coaching, and so on, for executive coaching, for leaders in communication. So part of the impetus was from that coaching. And part of it was from my relationship with my wife, so my Agnes she and I have a wonderful relationship, but about six years ago, she had a nervous breakdown and it was really difficult for us to manage our relationship, which previously had been great because she was very much of a different person after her nervous breakdown. She had a great deal of anxiety. She couldn't deal with pressure, couldn't deal with stress. She couldn't deal with expectations on her. We had to really restructure our relationship in fundamental ways to survive and thrive. And after we restructured and as she was healing, we realized that there were many things about the relationship that could have been better earlier. So we went around ahead and uh, redid a number of ways that we interacted and spent our time together in informed by the research and cognitive biases and how to build the best relationships possible. And so I worked on the book, The Blind Spots Between Us, uh, because that was so important for my relationship with my wife, as well as all of the professional 
coaching and consulting I did. So the book combines information about professional relationships, personal relationships, our society as well. So for example, I do a lot of diversity inclusion. Uh, I do some a lot of diversity inclusion work. So it talks about how to address racism and other negative tendencies in the workplace. And so it talks about all of those too and in your civic activities as well. Awesome. And what I'll do for you guys is that I'll attach the information for uh, for Glab's books on the details. So if you want to be lazy and not actually look more, you can just click on the link. It'll be hyperlinked right away in there. And I mean, as you can tell, Glab, you're, you're up to, to a lot of things. Like even with everything going on, instead of slowing down, you're just getting more and more things done. Is there a new and exciting project that you're working on that you'd like to share with us? My the project I'm working on right now in the I'll I'll share about the project in the civic sphere. It's called uh, the Pro Truth Pledge, and that's an effort to get everyone, you know, from private citizens to media professionals to politicians, to academics of all sorts, business leaders of all sorts, to commit to a simple principle of twelve truth-oriented behaviors. Because I feel like our society has been very much drifting away from truthfulness we talked about misinformation the problems of misinformation and what there's research has shown on codes of conduct is that when somebody makes a commitment to a code of conduct and especially when they're held accountable they are much more likely to be oriented toward the truth toward the behaviors that they committed to in the code of conduct so the pro-truth pledge is a project that you can check it out protruthpledge.org which asks folks to commit themselves and encourage all public figures from again from media professionals to politicians who are serving them and, and so on to take the pledge to go commit to 12 truth oriented behaviors and then f for public figures hold public figures accountable to those behaviors and i can talk more about that but anyway that's the project and i am passionate about it. we had already something like over ten thousand people who took it including 800 politicians including four members of congress and over 50 state legislators so that's really great to see so we have great traction which i'm really excited about and hopefully it will positively influence our of course, political system, but more importantly, our information ecosystem, how we get our information, how we sh what we share in social media, and how we address the scourge of misinformation that's really flooding our society. I honestly had no idea you were up to such an amazing project, and I'm glad I asked that question because I definitely want to learn more. I mean, that is pretty amazing what you're working on, honestly. I'm I'm wowed and I'm also super excited that I asked that question because this is just a whole different thing. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. And You're very welcome. And if any of my listeners would love to actually um, connect with you or grab a virtual coffee or even need coaching or consulting, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of my books is just to visit them. I mean, if you're if they're all available in a bookstore near you, if it's still open, never go with your gut. Uh, adapt and plan for the new abnormal of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and the blind spots between us. Check those out, available in bookstores near you, and of course online. And uh, audiobooks, as well as physical books and digital books. Not all, I think, don't think all of them are available as audiobooks, but some of them are. My own resources and where you can find more about my books, me, blogs, videos, podcasts, decision aids, guides, manuals, virtual consulting, coaching, training, 
presentations, webinars, classes, is on disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Especially check out a free eight-video-based module course on making the wisest decisions in all life areas at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Again, free eight video based module course on making the wisest decisions and the assessment and there is an assessment on the cognitive biases as part of the course is going to be on disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Awesome. And I'll attach all the information in there for you guys as well. So you definitely connect with Glab. And once you do, you have to tell him that you actually listen to the podcast on RM Podcast FL. <laughs> and uh, my last question and my favorite question, I would say as well, Glab, what is your personal definition of success? My personal definition of success is to make the best decisions possible with the information I have. It's a surprisingly hard thing to do because I, as all other people, am vulnerable to cognitive biases. I mean, optimism bias is one of my biggest ones, but I've suffered from other ones as well. So it's a constant struggle and a constant to be vigilant and make the best decisions, avoid cognitive biases in order to make the best decisions for myself and for others around me to help them have the best life possible and address suffering, which comes from bad decisions. That's the main source of our suffering, bad decisions. Absolutely. Well, I definitely, absolutely want to thank you so much for taking your time today and being a part of RM Podcast FL. Any last thing that you'd like to uh, talk to, to tell to our audience, Bob? The thing I really want people to remember from the podcast is that our emotions are not necessarily at all indicative of reality. You want to distance yourself from uh, your emotions and not assume that they are telling you the truth. When you feel something is true, it may not be the right thing, the true thing at all. When you feel something is the right thing to do, it may not be the right thing to do at all. So you want to step back from your emotions. Recognize that they're driving you very important, very important values. 80-90% of what we do intuitively is driven by our emotions but they may not be the right, they may not be pointing you in the right direction. So you want to be able to step back and redirect your emotions. Your emotions are incredibly valuable and powerful, but you want to be able to redirect them toward what's best for you in the long term, for your values, for your goals, and be able to do that. And that's an incredibly important skill. And I hope folks take away that away from this podcast. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for being a part of RM Podcast FL. And for all you, my awesome listeners, please, please make sure to look at the details on the information for the episode so you can connect with Glob. Highly recommend you his books. Highly recommend you to actually, even if you just want to get introduced to his work a little bit more, you can absolutely check out his YouTube page, YouTube videos, and you'll be hooked right away. I'll tell you that. <laughs> a guilty as charged. That's me. <laughs> Thank you so much. And make sure to tune in every Tuesday, you guys, for awesome and amazing episodes just like this one. Thank you, Glab. Hope everybody has a great day. Thank you.